0: I'm Allison Watson, and you're listening to the Water Values Podcast.
1: The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By Trinex, trust in what's next. By Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water. By Woodard & Curran, High-Quality Consulting Engineering, Science, and Operations Services. By Interra, Innovation and Stewardship for a Sustainable Tomorrow. And by Xylem, Let's Solve Water. This is Session 245.
0: Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now, here's your host, Dave McGibsey.
1: Hello, and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGibsey, and thank you so much for joining me. Well, it is Election Day. Happy Election Day, all. I hope each of you have put in the time to get educated on the issues in your local elections And then you have gone out and voted. We need an educated electorate to sustain our freedom. It's very important. Well, we have an awesome show for you today. David Lynch, the CEO and co-founder of Clear, that's K-L-I-R, is here. And he provides an absolutely fantastic interview. I couldn't have been more impressed with Dave during the interview And for those of you expecting a Bluefield on Tap segment this week, I'm sorry, but Reese and I just could not make our calendars work, so we're going to need to take a rain check. We'll get to it next time. Uh, But stay tuned. Dave Lynch is a fantastic interview. You are going to love this one. Well, as you know, we always say thank you to our awesome sponsors at the top of every show. Sponsors of the Water values podcast for 2023 include the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Trinix, Mentor APM, Woodard & Curran, Interra, and Xylem, and that, my friends, is a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry thought leadership and education. Thank you all. And I'd like for you, the listener, to please do me a favor. If you work for or with any of those sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and let them know that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education thought leadership, hey, why not leave a rating interview on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It'd be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And then there's also that thing, you know, subscribing to the podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast because that's important. Now it's time for the main event, the interview with David Lynch. So let's get that water flowing. Well, David, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So happy to have you on. How are you doing today?
0: Great. Thank you so much for having me just about to get into the nice fall weather now. Yeah. Uh, So looking forward to it.
1: It has been uh, I I don't know how it's been up in Canada, but it's been absolutely beautiful here in Southern Indiana. Uh, the last couple of weeks after we got out of that massive, you know, heat wave that, that we were suffering under.
0: I think if I say if it's raining and sunny, I'm probably describing all four seasons now uh, (laughs) in this changing world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, Dave, can you, uh, Tell us a little about your background and how you came to the water sector.
0: For sure, yeah, uh, really excited to be here, and thanks for having me. Um, so my uh, journey in water uh, started at pretty much straight out of university. So I'm I'm an engineer, mechanical engineer for my sins. Uh, I graduated during a, a, a troubling financial collapse of our entire country in Ireland, and um, where there was no jobs, and I fell into a into a consulting job. Um, And at that time, I actually was going to go back and do medicine. Uh, I wanted to go back and do cardiovascular medicine. Uh, But I I came across a project while I was consulting uh, for the Environmental Protection Agency. And what we were trying to do is basically manage all the regulation compliance and, in essence, water as an asset, as a a commodity for the country or for what we call Ireland Inc. Um, And that was where I fell in love with the water industry. So that's about 15 years ago. Um, and I I sort of say this tongue in cheek, and no offense to doctors, but what I what really drives me is uh, and what I love about water is the impact that you can have, obviously on the human health aspect for entire communities, but also on economic prosperity and how all of us enjoy our lives, whether we're into kayaking on our local lake or river, um, or or any any of our pastimes. Where doctors, you know, for the most part, save one life at a time. You know, water professionals can do do help thousands of people, which is which is a pretty cool industry. So. Uh, I got into the regulation and uh, policy side, but also how IT is used to implement that. So uh, we started off: how do you implement the the Urban Wastewater Directive, which is pretty uh, pretty equivalent to the Safe or, or to the Clean Water Act, looking at point source discharges into rivers and lakes, um, and then it worked on uh, historic landfills, industrial pretreatment, drinking water, safe drinking water um, regulations, uh, all that really good stuff, and then developed a a methodology with my colleagues there in the EPA to, to develop a, an integrated watershed uh, or catch and an approach to regulation. Uh, so that was pretty cool, really enjoyable. Um, and then got uh, afforded the opportunity to work with other regulators and other water utilities, uh, not just in Ireland, but around Europe and around the world. Um, and just got to spend a good decade working with the, the really good folks in water and seeing the problems that they're facing firsthand. And that's what led me to found uh, the company.
1: Yeah. Can you talk a little about what you do with clear? And, and before I jump into that question, what I really ought to say is I, I really like your, your contrast with, uh, you know, physicians versus who, who treat one patient at a time versus the water sector where it impacts thousands uh, at a time. So very, I, 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 I thought that was a very poignant uh,
0: uh,
1: item of perception. Uh, so yeah. Can you talk about clear now and what exactly you're doing with clear?
0: Yeah, and I I'll touch on that as well. Like I always say, and I say any dinner party I'm at, and people are sick of hearing me. You know, we we have these posters where we have firefighters and paramedics and police officers. You know, as the heroes of our community. And I I always question why the water professional isn't there. You know, because they do have this such such a major impact. And that really that really was you know that does tie into why we found it clear. You know, um, when I when I think back to the. You know, I, I will always describe myself as a recovering consultant. Um, I don't think you ever fully recover from it. Uh, but we were, you know, really trying to advise and help and implement systems to, for water utilities and for regulators to, to make water better. And throughout my career, what I found was there was a disconnect between, you know, the work we're doing and actually the impact on water. Is water better today? You know, and if you look at a country like Ireland or any, anyone in the EU, uh, I just take Ireland as an example, you know, when the Water Framework Directive came out, which is actually, a, you know, weirdly to say, a really good piece of regulation, it's about 13 or maybe 18 pages long, um, but at its heart, it says, listen, you know, keep water clean, safe, secure. Uh, and if you don't do that, then the polluter pays at a very basic level. But if you look at how that was implemented, like in, in the case of Ireland, we spent 10 billion euro, about $11 billion on improving the river and lake uh, quality status. It was about forty-six percent at the time was was rated bad or unhealthy. We spent all that money. And we got it to forty-eight percent. And your question, God, how much money do we invest in assets and infrastructure and all this work to actually improve water? And then you say, Did this actually have the, the end result? And that that's really what got me thinking. And how we say, Well, you know, water is a is a, is a crisis. It's a human-made crisis, which I actually think is great, weirdly. Um, it, it's not an asteroid hitting our planet that we're helpless to solve. It's, it's a human, you know, relatively human-made crisis. Uh, it's one that we, that we can solve. Um, and I said, well, how, how do two uh, paddies from Ireland you know, make an impact in the world's water? And how we thought about this was, you know, there's a whole bunch of really well-qualified, really passionate uh, professionals that know exactly how to solve this crisis. But unfortunately, they spent a good chunk of their time and they continue to spend a good chunk of their time doing administrative data work and, and chasing data. And I know on previous guests of your podcast, you know, we hear the, the death by Excel conversation all the time. Um, so a lot of these discussions, a lot of these decisions are made on incomplete data and on, on just you know, an element of bureaucracy. So we found it clear to say, listen, Give us all that administration, all that paperwork, 60% of a water professional's time in an organization is spent on this administration, bureaucracy, data chasing. Give that to us, we will manage that, we will automate that, we will share best practices across utilities. And you focus on the job at hand, which is uh, solving the water crisis, not based on what happened over the last 100 years, but from a new crisis that has no real playbook. How are we gonna face into a changing climate uh, where demand outstrips supply and we make sure that we have a 24-7 production facility for our customers, consumers, and also business for economic prosperity from now until 2050 and 2100.
1: Got it. Now, you so you've identified the data issue. What uh, I'll ask you about, from your vantage point, uh, with, with all your experience, what are the constraints Your when you look out and survey the water sector, what are the constraints you see out there? Uh, you've identified data. If you have anything to say in addition to what you've already mentioned, I'd love to hear that as well.
0: For sure. Um, what I would say is, you know, I, I would describe myself as a pragmatic uh, environmentalist. Um, you know, there's a reality here of like where we are as an industry. And I think the whole ideology behind the company and how we approach water management is is meeting us where we are. And the reality is uh, the majority of the water sector and many industries for that case are, are managed on Excel manage on paperwork, um, in particular in the water industry, and manage on antiquated systems. Um, and I think there's a lot of technology in water today. There's a lot of people, um, you know, or a lot of chefs in the kitchen trying to help. Um, but there's also a lot of solutions that are looking for problems. And when you actually look at how you can have a really big impact on water, it's it's not, it's not insane. It's not um, cold fusion we're trying to solve here to make, a, to make an advance. And the way we reflect on it is, yes, there's all these fantastic things we can do in the future, like AI and you know augmented and this and all this lovely, great stuff. But while we're still in a world, when I walk into a water utility, if I could walk into any one of many probably of your listeners today and uh, say, what's your, what, What's keeping you up at night? What is your big challenge or what are you doing right now? Most likely, they are trying to chase up a data or uh, or an Excel sheet that maybe has a password on it. That's maybe uh, someone's retired, someone who knew how to do a thing has gone and not left that, uh, that data, that access, that knowledge with, to the rest of their colleagues. And they're being reactive to, to whatever challenge faces them next. So this industry has relied on the passion and just incredible grit and determination of very driven community professionals. And I think before we talk about all the fantastic technology that's coming down the line, you know, how can we solve these really acute pains that are there right now today and the analogy i use is uh, you know we might you might come up to um a uh, like a, an event in your life and say you know i'd love to i'd love to look like arnold schwarzenegger i'd love to have a body like that <laughs> but you know if you're like me uh, you look very different to that and you say well i'd love to get there someday but i don't really know where to start and that's where clear comes in this is this is how you make a start Um, that's what we're trying to do uh, yeah we want to get to this really modern utility of the future and, and in essence what we try to do is give you that physical infrastructure that change management and that way of working to get you from where you are today where you're chasing excels and just trying to survive in a sea of data to this sustainable utility of the future
1: yeah so you've 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 said a lot of interesting things in that. Uh, you, you mentioned AI. I'm kind of curious uh, how you view AI and tech innovation, uh, you know, in water utilities on a, on a going forward basis. You, you've, 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 again, you've, you've touched on it, but I'd, I'd like to dive into that a little more.
0: Yeah. And, you know, AI is the hot topic of the moment. And there's a lot of confusion around what AI is, I think, at the moment, which is completely understood. There's a lot of jargon, a lot of uh, act acronyms uh in the mix i think ai in many respects has been around a while um but there's a lot of people trying to as i say sell ai with the, which is a solution to a necessary problem that we don't have i think what's changed in the last six months or the last year generative ai and uh, the ability to have a conversation with these incredible models and get an answer back now i will you know you probably want to touch on it separately the the idea of hallucinogens, or um, not hallucinogens, the drug (laughs) hallucinogenic responses, Uh, I'll clarify that. Um, But for the most part, what's different is this ability to have a conversation with the data, with the models that have come before. And when I reflect back on my career to date uh, in water, what I have found is the most effective way to manage water is through conversation. And if you look at the different water markets in Australia, uh, in Canada where they're putting incredible emphasis on incorporating um, First Nations and Indigenous tribes and how they manage water, all the way through to the, the history of how we've managed water for thousands of years, it always starts and ends and has most impact with the conversation. It's not that we had six better sensors than the, the four previously. They are really important, but it's about the conversation, the decisions we make from there. And what's really exciting about AI and generative AI in particular, is that we have this impending uh, gray tsunami. We have this workforce that's about to walk out with all the knowledge. We have a talent attraction problem where we cannot get the right people uh, into the right seats in this industry. And Generative AI is, has this ability to, cr- to bridge this gap, to allow the water professionals uh, do their job better. And the key here is it's not go- it will never replace, and it's not going to replace water professionals' job it is going to help them elevate their decision-making to a better level. So I get really excited when I talk and when I think about generative AI. And we are, we've are we launched a generative AI tool in Clear, but what's different about what we do is, uh, and I think it's it's really interesting in the context of the market, is we are not saying here, here is the fully complete AI tool. You must take it now and use it. Uh, you don't get any say water industry and in how we design this. What we are saying to our customers is is, let's build this together and if water professionals and the water industry don't engage at this with generative AI tools and and the the revolution that we're going with now, we will be left behind and we'll be left with tools that aren't fit for purpose, that don't understand the context uh, and the heuristics of the water industry and will give us answers and suggestions that don't really make sense uh, with a very nuanced and important industry.
1: Yeah. So, how do we how do we solve that? what What is the, what is the construct you think utilities need to use going forward in order to harness that power?
0: I think the first thing that we need to do is not emulate uh, our IT strategy the way we did with Excel. So, what you'll see today in the water industry and what all tools like AI are dependent on is good data. So, bad data goes in, uh, bad responses will come out, and we have had this tsunami of um, data generation tools come into the water industry. So the amount of data that's been created in our industry in the last 10 or 15 years is staggering. Um, so what I would say is, do, let's not have an IT strategy where we just emulate uh, what Excels were or databases were before. So let's buy one app over here that manages our, one of our labs and we'll buy another piece of software over here that manages our asset. And we'll buy another piece of software over here that does something else. And that's what I see every day in the water industry. There might be 120, 130 different pieces of software or pet projects that have been developed, and they all have a little bit of data, and that's not even to count the amount of Excels. So if you want to train an AI tool, it will not work when it's, when it's in that disparate, non-connected um, uh, environment. So what we need to do is to try and consolidate and, and pick a number of core platforms that are suited to the water industry get as many of the processes in there because that, that it makes sense. So have the people and the process and technology all merged into this one platform where we work and share data together. We have conversations together in a platform, and then AI will come thereafter. But if we still keep continuing or if we keep continuing going down this route, we're buying apps for this and apps for that. AI, for all the promises it's worth, it will not work in the water industry.
1: Where where do you get started with using the technology? Uh, you know, what's what's the kind of the I don't want to say the path of least resistance, but wh- where where should where should folks start? Where should utility start?
0: Yeah, I think the, the question here is is really where does your entire organization hang out? Um, and I don't mean that in the in the physical office sense or uh you know, is it an outlook or whatever? I mean like what is the thing that binds your entire organization together? I think this is a really key point because the future is not buying one box of AI and sticking it in the organization. AI is coming everywhere. And it's about where do we start with that? And our hypothesis and what we've seen work really well is you start with regulation and compliance because that is the thing that binds your entire organization together. There is only one reason a water utility or a water authority exists. And that's for the safe and secure delivery of water services. And that's that's the only reason we exist today. It is, you know, we sometimes get lost in, well, we're really an engineering firm or we're really a a hole digging firm or we're really a, you know, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, as long as you are providing safe and secure, that's reliable 24 seven, safe and secure water services to your customers, that's what binds you all together. And that job is pretty well articulated in the regulation. So that's where we start. And then when you do that and say, "Yeah, okay, we have an organization that is, is, uh, that has reliable service to our customers, then we talk about operational efficiency. We say, "Well, how can we do more or do the same with less?" Um, and that's because we want to deliver really good customer service. We want to make sure that our customers are happy and that the ratepayers' money is being put to good use. And when we get to a stage of operational efficiency, then we start thinking about sustainability we start thinking about how do we turn this into a more circular um, operation? But it all starts off with that regulation of compliance. And what we have found in our experience across the US, Canada, Australia, Europe, and many of our customers is that this regulation of compliance is dependent on the sheer grit and determination of a couple of key people in your team. And if something happens then, that's when your general manager or your CEO is called up in front of a public board or your name is in the newspaper saying, hey, X, Y, and Z is non-compliant for this, what, what the hell is going on over there? And um, so until you have that safety blanket, that security that your upper management, as well as everyone in the organization know that we are a, com- a compliance and we deliver safe and secure water services, there that, there is nowhere else to go. So on that basis, if you have one system, uh, one methodology, one approach for bringing that compliance data, that regulatory data, the thing that is the, the genesis of your entire organization into one system, that's a really good place to start. Um, of course, there's really good use cases here in leak detection technology, um, but like they are nuanced, uh, as one example, but they are nuanced to the challenges that that your organization face. Is the number one impact you can have on your customers, on your entire organization, on everything you do is a number one priority detecting your leaks? In some cases, yes, it is. In some cases, it's not. So it's, we have to make sure that we are fi- We understand the problem. What is the major limiting factor in our organization to, uh, to to be able to achieve our mission and our vision as an organization, which is that safe and secure delivery of water services and attack that problem head on and not get hung up on, you know, let we have AI, we think it's really cool, let's find a solution. Yeah, leaks or whatever, maybe they all sound good. Let's try it there and, and go and see what happens. And like that leads to an industry which we're in at the moment, which is... Uh, you know, a uh, pilot fatigue. And I, I heard a really good statement last week where, uh, you know, the water industry is more pilots than the airline industry. And I think that's really true. We do a lot of pilots uh, and that's because we haven't always found the problem that we're trying to solve. Yeah. That's
1: you, you've described a very localized problem, right? It's unique to each utility. So, you know, how, how, do you go about helping ut- utilities that may not know what their problem is? How, you know, what, how do, how do you get to that point to get them to, to move from, you know, to, to break the inertia and move forward on a, a, essentially a digital solution?
0: It's a great question. And I'm sure many, many of your guests and many people listening have this, have this challenge. And I think the key is, is, as I said before, meeting, meeting where you are, um, you know, big implementations, big enterprise, uh, investments in it, um, they don't. Always yield the results. And there was a great episode you had a good while back about the role of cybersecurity. And I remember the, the person you had on it was talking about that the biggest, or the the best defense we have is you know a really strong passwords, um, and then making sure that we have these different layers. And I think it, the same too goes for for change management. And uh, the same is is the best way for success, which is starting small, starting with an area which is of acute concern what is the worry in your organization? Is it that we, we know we are compliant for under the Safe Drinking Water Act, we know we adhere to an ISO standard, we know this, but that's dependent on a team of three or four people, and you know, some of them are about to retire. Let's just pick that off as a program, let's start there, let's build an internal case study, let's get that working, and then let's scale that. Because ultimately, the challenge in the water industry isn't the technology, um, but it is the change management side of it. We haven't done a good enough job of meeting the workforce, meeting the water utility sector where they are. And I think it's there's a lot of vendors that sell software. But is there, you know, we need to have more in this industry that uh, is there from the beginning to end of actually how we affect change because that's what we're all in the business trying to do. We're trying to figure out how do we deal with the changing climate, with the changing workforce. Who's going to help us? work through that change. And I think from a utility perspective, pick uh, an area, whatever it may be, is the most acute concern. The thing that keeps you up at night, you're saying, if, if, what is the worst thing that could wake me up or the phone call I could get? you know, Try and figure out is there a way to tackle that head on in a localized setting. Pick a vendor you can trust, whoever that may be. What we have seen in our experience, um, irrespective of, of, of what area you're looking at, is... You can't get a vendor that doesn't understand water. Um, You need to have a partner. You need to have a trusted advisor that understands the context of what you're going through. And it does require uh, public-private uh, participation. This isn't something that the, the water industry can solve on its own. And equally, this isn't something that the private sector can solve on its own. This is something where we work together um, to solve this challenge. So using uh, the tools at your disposal as well as picking the right people that understand your business to achieve those objectives is the best way I can start.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. I want to touch on something that I think you've you've kind of come at it a couple different ways. The first is you were talking about you know being having your name in the newspaper and people called down or during a public meeting, um, but but that really uh, identifies the the number one the public nature of the service that's being provided. But I also want to find out. Get your get your thoughts on how public sentiment affects the, the the water industry and the water and water utilities.
0: It's a really good question, and it's it's a really exciting but concurrently a scary time for water. So one of the things I find interesting is you know I've been going to conference for a long time of water, and you know there's always these questions. We need to get the public more engaged, and we need to get the public more, you know. Uh, Concerned about what happens with water, but we never talk about okay, what happens after they're all really engaged and they're really excited and they want to talk about water. I don't think we have a really good solution to that. Uh, do we have hundreds of people on standby uh, in our call centers to answer uh, questions that are really complex? You know, is fluoride good for me? You know, that we differ in opinions between science and 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 maybe pseudoscience. But we're not ready, I don't think, as an industry, for the engagement that we need, which is just a weird, um, a weird place to be. We absolutely need public engagement. We need public participation. We need public interest in water, and it is coming. Like even from our company perspective, you know, when we look at let's say recruiting people in, internally for Clear. What I find really interesting is the the caliber of candidates we can get now versus what we could get four years ago some of this is a result of COVID, but also some of this is a result of the impact of, of, of a changing climate. People want to work with a place that has meaning and that has a, a, a greater mission-driven purpose. And I bring up this example because people are becoming activated. They do have concerns about this. Are we ready to answer all those questions? And the, the, the scary element of this is, are we ready to answer all those questions where they're equipped by generative AI? Where someone can put in a prompt and come back with a question that seems like a, a PhD in, in, in biology, asked this question about the our water treatment process. So, yes, we absolutely need uh, uh engaged public, but we need to be prepared for it. And the reality of our sector is that it's it, it's an interesting one, it's not really comparable across uh other industries. You know, we often get to compare it compared to oil and gas and and healthcare and stuff but it is unique in that it is we have a finite number of customers often we 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 have a competitive advantage it's a, it's a monopoly but our revenue is constricted often by a, an independent regulator or by an external board what drives that what drives your your ability to set a water rate and that's public perception so the amount of money that an organization brings in to support those services is driven by you know how happy people and are when it comes to water services. So we're in this uh, challenging time, and if we score our own goals with things like a missed compliance issue or a surge overflow that impacts swimmers in a river or on a, or coastal swimming, which is all the rage now, you are just costing potentially tens of millions of dollars in revenue because of uh, you know not non-successful rate increases and a consumer base that doesn't necessarily value the service you provide. So we absolutely need to activate them. We need to be prepared to deliver the customer service that gets them activated and arguing on our side. And what's great, although this is scary, what's great about it is we are aligned and you know, community-based management of water is the most effective way uh, to manage water. So when you have local people who are in the community and be they public or private, knowing what's going on in their system, uh, and invested in their system and their own kids are drinking the water. We are all aligned to get the best quality water out there. So we do have we're, we're not in a frictious territory, but we just need to make sure we we communicate well, and uh, we don't score our own goals and we are prepared to the level of customer service that they need.
1: Great great answer. I I thought that was uh, phenomenal. Um I I really like not not you know making sure that you're ready to roll it out because how many times have we been how many times have you called an automated, uh, answering service or whatever, you know, called your, a vendor gone through an automated menu and it doesn't, it doesn't solve your problem. I think we, I think you're absolutely right that we need to to make sure that we have the ability to answer the questions because otherwise we're going to just frustrate our customers even more.
0: Absolutely. Like imagine, you know, beating a drum for four years saying we really want you to care about water and then they turn around and go, Okay, I care about water, only for the phone to go unanswered, <laughs> you know, or the, the email to not go responded to, it would it would be a complete erosion of trust. And you know, in reality it was always going to be a slow incremental engagement. But you know, when you look at it, these things happen, can happen quite quickly. So, you know, in California, you know, quite rapidly over the space of a number of years, people have become very engaged in the water issues. The UK is a great example. Where, you know, stormwater overflows, no one cared about them. Every successive government didn't really care. Yeah, we know we need to invest in them. This was going on for decades. But all of a sudden, cold water swimming becomes all the rage. And now people are taken to the streets. We've mass protests. A lot of people engaged and know what CSOs stand for. You could, you know, three years ago, five years ago, could you have predicted that? No, you couldn't. You wouldn't have. Um, But as soon as it happens and trying to get out of that PR tailspin, it is a nightmare. It is really, really challenging and there's very little you can do. So to be able to tackle this head on, make sure that we're able to have answers to our customers is going to be really important. And this isn't rocket science per se. Like if they're using generative AI tools, we should be using generative AI tools and we should be able to deliver that customer service at an effective cost uh, to our consumers.
1: Absolutely. Well, Dave you've been absolutely fantastic. I have really enjoyed this conversation. It, it the time just flew by. Um I'll ask you do you have a leave behind message before we uh before we get to the end here.
0: My my leave behind is just one of positivity. Like we can solve this challenge. We can solve uh, the challenges of the water industry, uh, but we need to use the best tools that are available today. The one leave behind I would say to my to my water colleagues is we talk a lot about the risk of things like AI or new technology or whatever. But what's the risk of doing nothing? What's the risk of going on the same way we did yesterday and last year and the year before in a world that wasn't impacted by climate change, uh, in a world that was maybe more forgiving and with more abundance of this, of this commodity? Uh, the risk of doing nothing is increasingly severe, uh, as we've seen by very hardworking and diligent professionals being called out unfairly in the public domain. So when you think about a, a technology uh, or a way forward or driving your own utility to one water or 2050, um, think about, yes, this is really difficult. And these are all the things that can go wrong. But what about if we don't do this? What's going to happen then? And I think when you think about that and you pull at that thread a little bit, it becomes a pretty scary world.
1: Absolutely. Well, Dave, you've been, again, fantastic. Uh, For those who want to find out more about you and your work at Clear, where can they go to get that information?
0: Yeah, so I am on LinkedIn, uh, David Lynch. I am not the film director. um, (laughs) Or you can head on to clear.com, K-L-I-R.com, and learn more about us.
1: I was going to say, I I really liked uh, Wild at Heart, so great job on that one.
0: You know, I, I wish I could take credit.
1: <laughs> well, thanks again, Dave. Really appreciated you coming on and uh look forward to speak with you in the future. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: All right, you bet. Bye. Dave was absolutely awesome. As I messaged him after I was doing the sound editing, you know, sometimes well, well, you know, frankly really a lot. I miss a lot of stuff during the interview that when I'm doing the sound editing, I air quotes, you know, hear for the first time. Um and Dave relays so much great information; it's easy to miss. So i i I'd, I'd let this one simmer for a bit, and then come back in a week or two or three and give it another listen, because you will hear a lot of great stuff that Dave relays uh, during the interview. So this this one is a this one's a keeper, and one I think that is just going to do better with age. I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for links. And information on this episode, just Google the water values podcast, click the first first link that comes up. That's our home on the web that uh, Bluefield Research gives us via our joint marketing arrangement. Again, for the longtime listeners, you know that the Bluefield Research and the water values LLC are not affiliates. We just have that joint marketing arrangement out of which we get a home on the web. Uh, so you can email me at david.maggiimpsey at dentons.com. You can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page I mentioned earlier as well. And thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day. Plus I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include the American Water Works Association, Black and Beach, Trinex, Mentor APM, Woodard and Curran, Intera and xylem and this show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders and again thank you for listening and for subscribing to the water values podcast your support is truly appreciated in closing please remember to keep the core message of the water values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business water is our most valuable resource so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it